Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Heavenly Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. A uh, statistic came out some time ago that proclaimed that there are currently a million twenty-five, a million twenty-five thousand words or so, give or take a few, in the English language. Um, actually, it was one million twenty-five thousand one hundred and nine point eight. I don't know how in the world you get point eight of word, but. Uh, I catch myself sometimes stopping in mid-sentence and sometimes mid-word and uh, leaving the person I'm talking to wondering what the heck I'm talking about. Hopefully I don't do that in the message today. Uh, So I do understand the fraction of the .8 of a word. Of those one million words, it is said that your average everyday uh, American has a working vocabulary of about 20,000 words. And this means that over a million words on average don't get used. That's uh, not a bad thing, necessarily. Uh, Let's face it, there's not a whole lot of opportunity to use words like malacostracon. I think I read it somewhere in a biological magazine that has to do with crustaceans and things like that, or pasiloquent. Uh, which is what I try to do every Sunday. It means to speak briefly in speech, utter few words. Don't laugh. Aside from that, there are plenty of times you should stick to just what you know. You're just looking for trouble if you start using words that you're not quite familiar with. Many uh, a person tries to appear smart and Uh, knows, uh, kind of blows their cover when they uh, try to conversate about something like Magellan uh, circumcising the globe. Uh, Doesn't really work, does it? The reason I bring this up is because it should come as no surprise with, with all these different words out there, we're bound to make some mistakes and misuse words. Sometimes we use the wrong words. That maybe even happened in our presidential uh, speeches that you've heard recently. But take um, two words, diagnosis and prognosis. Maybe those are real clear in your mind, but for some, they become very confusing words. And diagnosis, as probably you know, is a statement of what is, what the condition is. This is how things are right now. Whereas prognosis is a prediction or a forecast about how things will develop or turn out based on a particular course of treatment. One of the funniest moments for me, maybe you wouldn't think it's funny, I did, as uh, when I had a biopsy done, uh, and my surgeon came into my room after it was all over and said, yes, you have B-cell uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And that was the diagnosis. And I guess I looked a little downcast in that moment. And he said, no, you want this. And I said, no, I really don't want this. And he said, look, if you're going to have cancer, this is the one you want. It's curable. 
What he was saying was, yes, you have cancer, but that doesn't have to be a death sentence. One prognosis is that if you undergo treatment, you can beat this thing. Along the way, you will experience some ups and some downs, but the outlook, the forecast, the prognosis is very good. So what does that have to do with our lessons for today? Well, if you turn your ears to our Scripture readings for this morning, you'll hear a great deal about diagnosis and prognosis. And it should come as no surprise that many people who heard the words of Jeremiah or St. Paul and even Jesus Himself confused the two to the point that their confusion drove them to murderous anger. They heard the words of the diagnosis. The words that simply told it like it was according to the Word of God. This is the sin and you're being sinful. You are that man. You are committing this sin. You are an enemy of the cross and your mind is set on earthly things and not the things of God or His will. Your house is forsaken. Should things continue the way they are, it won't turn out well. You will die. You will end up being a city without inhabitants. You will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and on your city and her inhabitants, and you will wind up being forsaken and destroyed. Those who continue to walk as enemies of the cross, serving their own appetites as gods, and glorifying and celebrating their sinful shame will meet their end in destruction. You, Jerusalem, should you continue to refuse to be gathered to me? Should you continue to choose to remain forsaken? And apart from me, it will not bode well for you. You've got a spiritual cancer and left untreated. Well, you know. And all these centuries later, things haven't changed. People still hear the diagnosis and get all offended and angry. And sometimes they get angry because they just don't want to hear the diagnosis. It offends them. It throws a wrench into their plans. They disagree. They want a second opinion. Have you seen that bumper sticker? I love it. It says, I don't need a second opinion. I like my own. Um, I like my own well enough. I think, boy, that's us, isn't it? Well, the devil is always more than willing to offer a second opinion that goes against God. Oh, that thing? That's not a sin. Everyone's doing it. It's different in your case. You're a good person and good, with good intentions. That prophet, that pastor, that Christian brother or sister, they don't know what they're talking about. They're just trying to keep you down. You just keep on doing what you're doing. 
It's nobody's business but your own. Other times, however, people wrongly get angry over the diagnosis because they confuse it with the prognosis. They hear that they're a sinner. They hear the full, deadly reality of their condition. Unfortunately, they confuse the diagnosis for prognosis. They think that if you are... that you are passing judgment on them and declaring that this is how it will be for all eternity. God Himself never says this. His prognosis is always, it doesn't have to be this way. Turn around, repent, and live. And this is why I love Christ's words at the end of the Gospel lesson. Those words that declare that unbelieving and murderous Jerusalem is forsaken. The diagnosis that Christ speaks here to Jerusalem hits the problem right on the head. They are forsaken. They are outside of God's embrace. Why? Not because God is capricious, that He flies off the handle and is unstable. It's not because God has some vendetta against Jerusalem. In fact, it's just the opposite. God wants nothing more than for Jerusalem to be saved. He loves His people. He wants them to be healed and made whole in His loving embrace. And that's why He continued to send prophet after prophet to speak to them the word of truth to proclaim His diagnosis, to turn them to repentance. But tragically, they didn't like the diagnosis. So when they heard the treatment was to be gathered like little chicks, they rejected it. They ran from God. They assaulted assaulted and murdered Him and anyone who represented Him. They weren't forsaken because God God rejected them. They were forsaken because they made themselves forsaken. They let go of God. They released God and pushed Him away. And Jesus is simply telling them what the problem is. He's diagnosing their sinful reality and inviting them to treatment doesn't have to be this way. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, Jesus said. This is the treatment that leads to a good prognosis. I want nothing more than to forgive you. I want nothing more than to restore you unto life and peace. However, should you continue doing what you're doing, yes, you'll be utterly forsaken. My friends, nothing has changed in all these years. How many people do we know who've done the same exact same thing to Christ, to His church, and to the means of grace? Jesus wants to gather us under His wings 
for protection against the cancer of sin. You might notice that some of our own aren't with us today. They haven't been with us for a while because of the same exact self, self-righteousness, rebellious attitude towards God, His church, and the means of grace. But if the truth be told, if we're going to get brutally honest, we too would have to confess that we've taken the same prideful resistance toward Christ a time or two in our own lives as well. But that's just it. We've done it too, haven't we? And yet we're forgiven. We're not forsaken. And we didn't have to jump through any outrageous hoops to win back or merit God's grace and favor. We simply gathered together today under the mighty wing of God's protection to repent of our sin, to be turned back to God. And that act of faithful contrition and repentance, we found that God was right there waiting for us all along with His open arms of unconditional love and mercy. Because God is true to His Word, the prognosis for us is excellent. Understand, too, that this same reality applies to everyone in our present day and age, even those who presently reject Christ. Nowhere in the Gospel text does Jesus say that those sinful forces of darkness in Jerusalem are eternally forsaken and damned. Remember, Jesus gave diagnosis and prognosis, but He didn't close the book and write them off in eternal judgment. Should you continue this way, this is how it will turn out. But it doesn't have to end like this. Throughout the entire Holy Week, from Palm Sunday to Good Friday, God gave those hard-hearted fools in Jerusalem ample opportunity to recognize that His promise of a Messiah and their salvation the salvation He would bring was being fulfilled before their very eyes in the person of Jesus. And after the resurrection and right up to the moment that last life of breath left their lungs, each and every person who turned their backs on Christ had ample opportunity to repent and turn back to Him. Him. Jesus. The source of of eternal life and salvation. That's how gracious and loving our God was in His dealings with those rebellious little chicks. And that's how gracious and loving God still is with us today. Family of God, as we bring this to a close for today, that's what we need to take with us out into this fallen world of sin in which we live. Nothing has changed in terms of God's unconditional love for His people. God has never and will never eternally forsake a person while they still reside on this side of eternity. Jesus Christ willingly laid down His life 
on a bloody cross for all mankind. He was willingly forsaken by his Father for us and for all mankind. He did this in our place precisely so that no one would ever have to be separated from God's love and grace and mercy. So don't be deceived. Jesus was the only one who was truly forsaken and forgotten by God. I know we've all had that day of despair. And yet we know that God has never abandoned us. He is there in the valleys as well as on the mountaintops. God in Christ has always been there as He promised. Holding out His loving arms to receive us when we turn our backs away from our rebellious sin and turn to Him in faithful, repentant trust. You know, there's nothing better than to hear a doctor say, you're cancer-free. You have heard the diagnosis for mankind's rebellion. And the promise didn't, the prognosis didn't look so good. But God offers a healing cure as we are gathered in Jesus' arms and in His name. And under His wings, we have a new prognosis. It is finished. Rejoice. The treatment is over. Stay under the protection of His mighty wings and know that the day of salvation approaches when we will be fully and completely released from our cancer of sin. Sin-free, our Heavenly Father will welcome us into His home in the heavenly mansions which Jesus has prepared for us already. Let us give thanks to God for His goodness and for His love and for His wonderful prognosis for those who put their trust in Him. In Jesus' name, amen.